From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Mimi Gerges. This is Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm Mimi Gerges. The Biden administration last week formally informed Congress that it set an average pay raise of 2.7% for civilian federal employees for 2022. If approved, federal employees would receive a 2.2% across-the-board raise and an average 0.5% increase in locality pay. The Department of Veterans Affairs has reported a tripling of COVID cases in August. Almost 1,200 employees at the department have active cases. GovExec reports that number nears the total that VA reported last winter during the pandemic's peak. The General Services Administration is looking to offer federal employees more telework options. The agency has awarded a contract to WeWork and four other contractors to provide flexible workspaces. The contract is the first of its kind for GSA. The bipartisan infrastructure bill will create a new research agency in the Transportation Department but that agency would operate without civil service job protections. Lisa Ryan is a reporter at The Washington Post. She covers federal agencies and the management of government. Lisa, welcome. So much for having me. So this is called ARPA-I, which is the Advanced Research Projects Agency for Infrastructure. It sounds like a great idea. It's essentially the DARPA of transportation. So why not offer job protections that other federal workers enjoy? Right, it's the DARPA, as you said, and I think it's also modeled on what is called in government speak ARPA-E, which is a similar agency uh, that started at the Energy Department to do advanced research there in, and that started, I think, around 2009, 2010. So the reason really gets that that these, these agencies are being created kind of outside of the normal civil service system is really simply um, one of a desire for expertise and and quick hiring in a hiring environment that is really, I think, agreed by all to be a kind of a failed system. So obviously the infrastructure bill is a priority for President Biden and, uh, you know, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg wanted this kind of is think of I think of it as kind of a research think tank, you know, inside the transportation department that will hire experts to guide them on uh, how to, uh, you know, issue grants efficiently, how to the people, the state governments, local governments who are getting the grants, the contractors who are employed, you know, how they can, um, you know, build bridges and roads better and more efficiently and, you know, um, saving energy and all kinds of, and with the newest research. The problem is you need really qualified um, scientists, ex data people, engineers to, to carry out such something like this. And the real problem that they came up against is something that every agency deals with, sadly, which is that it takes months and months and months to, to hire people if you go through the traditional job board, USA Jobs, which so many people watching this show are familiar with, it can take months and years to be hired. Um, then, you know, you you also have to kind of account for a veteran's preference, which is still very much um, a policy of the government. 
and has been since the Obama administration. And the veterans, um, you know, if somebody is a qualified veteran, they have to be hired over someone who um, is a non-veteran. And that gets very complicated as much as people, you know, don't want to talk about, you know, the elephant in the room there. I think that agencies get frustrated because sometimes they do find veterans who are not the best fit. So, so, Lisa, I mean, it's true. Proponents say, look, these are high-level scientists and engineers. The government needs to bring them in quickly. They need to be able to fire employees that aren't performing um, and that the agency will just be much more nimble and effective. That's right. The problem, though, of course, is that this is, is a deeply, you know, political issue I think really that this kind of became a story, at least in my mind, and certainly for um, AFGE, which as you, your, your listeners know, um, is the largest federal employee union with somewhere oh, more than 700,000 um, you know, members at uh, uh, several dozen agencies across the government, including the Department of Transportation. Why this became an issue is that this comes on the heels of uh, a policy decision that the Trump administration tried to implement kind of at the 11th hour in the last few months of the administration. This is Schedule F. Yes. and Explain I, that. Yeah, I think it's very relevant here because Schedule F was something that the Domestic Policy Council in the White House came up with, um, a very, um, very uh, anti-labor, very smart um, and very well-respected by the president um guy named James Shirk came up with this. He'd come from the Heritage Foundation and he wanted to create uh, a system that, you know, would work for the administration that would basically make uh, hundreds of thousands of employees, if they had really gotten that far, um, essentially at-will employees who could be, could be fired if they were not competent or if they if they if they resisted the any administration, but in this case the Trump administration's policies, and what happened there was that they didn't really the Trump folks did not really get very far simply because they started this initiative in the end of the administration, although they did identify just about everyone at the Office of Management and Budget, who technically would would have gone into this pot of people who would be eligible for this employment category. Then Biden came in, and of course, um, within a few days, he rescinded this this executive order to create Schedule F. So the unions who actually, you know, fast forward to, to eight months later, the unions learned about this, um, this effort uh, by the Biden administration to create this infrastructure agency, and they, they got really wicked out and they said, wait a minute, I mean, of course, this, this sounds a lot like Schedule F. It sounds a lot like Schedule F. Now, um, you know, the 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 what they what happened was that they they went to a variety of senators. They wrote a letter to every senator on Capitol Hill, and they said, "Do you realize that this is in the bill?" And I think that mostly this, no one really did realize that this was in the bill. Chris, Senator Chris Van Hollen of Maryland, kind of took up uh, the flag for for the unions and for you know, for the federal employees in the um, in the DMV, you know, and he 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 his entire state has, you know, hundreds of thousands of federal employees, and he had an amendment that he proposed to the infrastructure bill that would have essentially 
not made this an entirely uh, competitive system for hiring, um, but it would have allowed the employees um, in this this infrastructure agency to be uh, hired non-competitively. We'll have to see what happens in the House. Thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing this with us. Coming next, a slight drop in the budget for the thrift savings plan. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the priorities for TSP and fiscal 2022. You're watching WJLA 24-7 News. The thrift savings plan has a slightly smaller budget for fiscal 2022. The Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board approved the budget of $496 million for the next fiscal year. Kim Weaver is Director of External Affairs at the Federal Retirement Thrift Investment Board. Kim, welcome to the program. Thank you, Mimi. Nice to see you. So the TSP has adopted a slight budget decrease in fiscal 2022. How does that affect operations at TSP? Well, it is something that we've been planning. Um, over the past five years or so, our budget has increased as we've dealt with information security and legacy hardware, legacy software. And we um, awarded a new contract for a record keeper, people who are keeping, as it sounds, the records of our participants. And so this year we're in that transition period. So we're paying for current record keeper and then the transition to the new record keeper. Um, next year in the summer, the new record keeper will go live and we will begin to decommission the old record keeper, which allows us to begin to decrease that budget. Well, some of the priorities from fiscal 2021, including enhancing resiliency and cybersecurity. How did that go? It went very well. I have to say we as I said, this has been a, a long um, focused effort to improve our cybersecurity. Our FISMA um, results have been very promising. The, we're in the middle of the next FISMA uh, audit at the moment. And while the FISMA uh, audit as appropriate is always changing and dealing with the new uh, threats that are out there, we are continuing to work on that while we work on the new record keeping. So the thrift board stated goal for fiscal 22 is for TSP to quote, become more focused on participants and the agency rather than just on technology and cybersecurity. Exactly. How will that look to participants? What are they gonna see that's different? They're gonna see, um, for example, a mobile app. And I know that sounds sort of small, but it is something that um, our participants very much want and next summer they will have it. That will make it easier for them to access their account as we all do, right? We go on our phones and we access our bank. We do all of our work on our phones. And that is that. We will have new calculators, new tools, um, new abilities uh, to do things online. And I think in general, it will be a more seamless transition or a more seamless transaction that they have will be able to experience. Kim, the coronavirus pandemic has affected everybody. How has it affected your operations, especially the recent spike in infections? Thankfully, it has not. Um, we, when, when the pandemic hit last March of 2020, we went remote, both the agency and for the most part, our contractors. Uh, we have contracted 
uh, call centers, we have contracted forms processing units. And for the most part, they moved uh, remote. They still come into the office, obviously, for forms. Hard to do that uh, remotely. And the spike, we have continued that. Our, our service levels have not changed as a result of the pandemic. So tell me about the investment board's budget priorities for fiscal 2022. It is to focus on the record keeper transition. We are also updating our financial um, software and that transition is going to go live in January. And then we are um, also going to be uh, revising our agency uh, laptops, that sort of thing. So there are three major contracting efforts that are going to be going live in FY22. And that's our focus. But as you said, all of which is the end result is to improve services to our participants. So you recently conducted a, a participant survey. What did you find? We found that 89% of our participants are satisfied or extremely satisfied with the services we provide, which is gratifying, um, but we don't rest, right? We continue to try and make things better. And one of the things that we ask is what more, what other things do you want? And given the population of our, um, the demographics of our population, people are getting closer to retirement and they're asking for things like a decumulation tool, you know, as opposed to a tool that tells you how much to save. This is okay. I've saved X amount. How much can I withdraw safely to last me through our, our my retirement? And so those are the things that we're looking at and working toward to be able to offer our participants. Well, how are you planning to respond then to um, to the results of these uh, of this uh, survey that you did? So a lot of the things that people are looking for will be um, addressed by the new record keeper to the extent that they won't in the sort of go live next summer. Those are things that we will look at after that transition. But we're not really in a position to make many changes at the moment because we're focused on making this transition and making it as smoothly as possible. All right, well, Kim, we'll leave it at that and we'll check in with you again soon, okay? Great, thanks, Mimi. Thank you. Up next, 100,000 new employees coming to the U.S. Postal Service this calendar year. Straight ahead on Government Matters, how to reduce the high turnover rate before the holiday season hits. We archive every episode of Government Matters on govmatters.tv. I'll be right back. The U.S. Postal Service plans to hire 100,000 new employees by the end of this calendar year. Postmaster General Louis DeJoy also hopes to reduce the high turnover rates in the department. Danny Werfel is managing director and partner at Boston Consulting Group. He's former controller of the Office of Management and Budget and former acting commissioner of the IRS. Danny, hello. Welcome. Thank you, Mimi. It's good to be on. Why is the Postal Service in this situation? How could they need so many new employees? Well, I think there's, there's a lot of broader, broader factors going on. First of all, I think, you know, out in the economy in the U.S. right now, we have a labor shortage. Um, and so, you know, I think people sometimes forget that when government agencies are competing for talent in the workforce, hiring, losing people, gaining people, 
they're not just competing against other federal agencies or other government agencies. Individuals often are taking jobs in the private sector. So when you hear there's a labor shortage or you see a lot of help wanted out there, that's true in the government as well. And also, I think the other factor, this may be a little bit more unique to government, is for a variety of different reasons, you know, the government over the last five or 10 years, not just at the Postal Service, but elsewhere, there's really been, you know, somewhat of a divestment in, uh, in workforce, you know, pay, training, recruitment, the government has not invested as much as it has in previous generations in workforce. And there's a lot of political reasons for that. But, uh, but now maybe there's an opportunity to change that. Anything particular to the Postal Service, though, that has caused such a reduction? I know coronavirus hit them especially hard with, you know, people, uh, workers getting infected and having to quarantine and things like that. Yeah, there's there's some unique elements, you know, and you mentioned uh, a big one. Um, I think that that there are, you know, a lot of 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 organizations, nonprofit, for profit government that are finding themselves in this type of acute uh, need of individuals. So in some ways, the Postal Service is more front and center because it's a government organization that that every U.S. citizen feels every day, sees every day, and in some cases interacts with every day. So when something like this happens and there's this, um, you know, there's either a, a decline in services or a financial issue of some kind or this type of uh, workforce shortage, um, it's it's more known to us and it's more part of the dialogue. But I think the reality is, is that there are acute uh, workforce challenges going on across industries and across government. Um, but you you raised a good point, and that is that the Postal Service um, has had, you know, a, a, a particular issue with COVID um, and um, and therefore, you know, it, it strains uh, the workforce in a different way. Does the, does the USPS have the processes in place to meet this objective of hiring 100,000 new employees, do you think they'll be able to do it? I do. I mean, I think that um, that obviously uh, there's a foundation of 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 HR, human resources practices. You know, they have the 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 business processes, the standard processes for the full life cycle of recruiting, hiring, retaining and then um, transitioning people to retirement. Um, the question is, is can they strengthen it? Can they scale it? Can they innovate uh, in order to, to surge and meet an emerging challenge or an emerging demand? So the foundation is there. Now the real challenge is, is to get, get creative and invest in scaling. And I think with the right leadership engagement and the right focus, you know, I think this organization can do a lot. 100,000, that is a bold, ambitious target uh, in, 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 our, in the labor market environment we're currently in. But I think one thing that I would suggest they do in order to help achieve is really one thing that federal agencies and the Postal Service is no different, has as a competitive advantage over other industries when hiring, is that, that connection that people have to mission, that connection to patriotism, and government agencies, including the Postal Service, I think can call on people to help the U.S. get through its current challenges. And, you know, the Postal Service, like any other federal agency, 
plays a key role in helping uh, the country get through its challenges. And right now, you know, with the pandemic, you know, we're, we're you know, with with everything that's going on in the country, it's a challenging moment for us. You know, we're we're sitting in the wake of a of a massive hurricane hitting uh, New Orleans right now. We're we're living in the strain of of the challenges that are going on in Afghanistan. You, know, you think about you know, the postal service plays a vital role in um, in our society, and I think there's an opportunity to really ask people to come be a part of that and help the country during a challenging time. Danny, what about the, the high turnover rate? Do you think USPS can offer incentives to reduce that? And if so, what should those incentives be? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think it starts with, um, with uh, understanding what, what we have in terms of flexibilities for better benefits, for better pay, for more flexible work arrangements. I mean, right now in a competitive market, uh, labor market, you know, one of the things that appeals to employees are these basic things, pay, benefits, flexibilities. I think the Postal Service has actually more flexibilities than a lot of other federal agencies just based on the way it's structured and, and the legislations around it. And so as I was t describing earlier, how do you innovate? How do you scale? How do you change that foundation that you have of HR practices during peacetime, if you will? Now you have a, 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 an acute moment or a crisis. How do you scale those? I think the flexibilities are there. The, the leadership there really needs to lean in and leverage those flexibilities. Well, Danny, thank you uh, for joining us. We all certainly hope that they are successful because we want our letters and our packages on time. So, Exactly. Vital role at a challenging time for our country. Absolutely. Thank you. If you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website at govmatters.tv. And tell us what you thought about today's program. You can reach us on LinkedIn. Follow us to get the latest updates and see what's coming up on the show. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on 7 News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Mimi Gerges. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Katherine Roloff and Drew Friedman. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Our director of content is Alan Holmes. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.